0: Well, and welcome to another episode of IA Dudley Speaks. I'm IA Dudley Harrison, husband, father of two, senior partner of education, director of BME's Talk, all under the umbrella of Community Bill Ventures. I have 20 years teaching and leading in public, private, international schools. So I was in a, I met with um, uh, a really, my wife's really good friend. Um, They're in town um, and we had dinner, we were just talking about our children, you know, it comes up in the conversation. And um, my wife's friend was, you know, really just sharing how uh, learning virtually for her son uh, this past year was effective. Like he really responded well and his her daughter did not respond well though. And her daughter's older, she was in the eighth grade, getting ready to go into the ninth grade, I believe. Um, and particularly, She was talking about um, she did didn't do well, wasn't far engaged with um, taking pre-algebra or taking algebra. And so and she was just kind of like, you know, what's going on? Because her daughter, they had her, you know, tested um, just various aptitude and skills tests. And she tested through the word Ruth, according to her, like 98th percentile um, in her learning abilities. Um, But yet math wasn't clicking. And, you know, we, we, you know, upon talking more and more, as you guys know, I, I taught math for 16 years, I started to say like, well, did she like the teacher? And that's when um, she was like, no, she didn't. I said, well, there you go right there. You know, your daughter is clearly has the ability, has the capability, if I'm saying the word right, to uptake New learning, to apply vocabulary in different ways, to really have flexible and problem solving, you know, sort of strong intuitive sense to analyze and problem solve. But in terms of this one subject, it's not that she can't learn math, it's that she's struggling in her relationship. She might be struggling in a relationship with the teacher that is blocking her desire to want to unlock the skills she has to learn things very, very well. Because clearly, this test she took is an indication that, like, she is a good learner. I guess has strong learning skills and so on and so forth. And math seemed to be the only place. Now, the interesting part is, in her seventh grade year, two years ago, she did exceptionally well. And so they thought, excuse me, her sixth grade year, she took a class and did exceptionally well and then got into pre-algebra in her seventh grade year. That was just past year. And she didn't do so hot, but she did well in sixth grade. And so she's trying to figure out what's going on and all this other type of thing. And I was just like, it's it's most likely the relationship between her and the teacher. Sometimes we say as teachers, you know, as parents or whatever, our children are bored, right? It's not that they don't have the ability. It's just there is a relationship imbalance or barrier that's keeping it from that. Sometimes it is, do I even respect this teacher? Do I respect them enough to do their work and so on and so forth? And so when I was sharing with her that my son, Johnny back in his ninth grade year, four years ago, uh, he was having difficulty. He was experiencing difficulties in physics. And when, you know, my wife and I finally sat down with him, it came down like he doesn't like the guy. He doesn't like the way that he set up class. I guess he doesn't like his humor. And in the, 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 the Johnny's offense and the guy's offense, his original physics teacher, I believe, went out on maternity leave or was sick. Some sort of uh, health thing had come up, and so she had to step back from the position. And so while, you know, school had already after school had already started, they needed to find a new physics teacher, so they found the best that they could. Someone who you know, could teach the class. So this guy was not his teacher was not a, a a high school physics teacher. He knew physics and he was very familiar with the content, but not a high school teacher and something about that, something along with their relationship just didn't didn't fit. And so what did he do? Uh, Johnny, he was like, "Well, I'm not going to do your homework. I don't care if you give me a chance to make up a test. I don't really want to do this for you." And so we had to um put some measures in place to ensure that he still passed the class and did more than pass the class, like applied himself in this challenging situation to push himself to work through this relationship so that he can still, you know, really prove that he can learn in any situation, whether he'd like the teacher or not. So that was that was a lot of of what we did. And so I think it's I think it's really fascinating um, just this whole idea of our students, our kids being exceptionally bright and taking some of these, con- I don't know if they're competency tests, but they're, they're aptitude tests and doing really well. So, in my career um, of teaching high school math, I had a number of kids who, at least a handful each, well, two or three each year at least, that were tested for their aptitude, their ability, just did some learning assessments by some um, educational psychologists and the results almost inevitably came back this is a very bright child, they have the aptitude to learn this but for some reason they weren't doing well in math, they hadn't had a, a positive track record in math and I, and, and, I, and I would all, and I would sit there and I wonder, it's like, okay, what's the disconnect between these educa- these tests that educational psychologists give or counselors give to our students? I mean, this is the test where it might cost fifteen thousand fifteen hundred to three thousand dollars to go. The child goes for a number of different tests: auditory, visual, writing vocabulary, problem solving, all of these things. It's a battery of tests that they take and they come back and say that essentially the student is fine. The student is average or above average. I don't, I don't know how it was classified, but the student can learn. But for some reason, it wasn't clicking in math. And I used to sit there and be like, so wait, if they have the aptitude, they have the ability, they have the skill set to do this, they have the maybe the 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 study skill habits. They know how to be a good student. But it's not happening in math. I was like, well then what's the difference? What is not connecting? And so I would spend time trying to figure that out and really creating doing my job to create an engaging learning environment, one that really tapped into and, and, and met a lot of different needs, like taught students how to problem solve, how to critical think through long word problems, short word problems, through very complex equations and applying formulas. And, and we just, we, we really honed the craft of, my focus was being a, a, a good learner of mathematics. So thinking about as a teacher, what do they need to be a good learner of mathematics? It wasn't. And and what came along was the curriculum. They they learn what they needed to learn to be a good mathematician through exercises we would do with the curriculum. So the curriculum kind of came separate. Second, it was important. We did cover it because, you know, I had standards that I had to meet. You know, students had to be ready for, you know, complete a certain amount of of content. I, I got all that. But it was really, I realized that there was this need to help them become better learners of mathematics. So perseverance, resilience, problem solving strategies, looking at what was uh, their, their, their kryptonite. If it was looking at how homework was assigned, was graded, was reviewed was integrated into the lesson of the class, how to use, you know, quizzes to, you know, no pressure quizzes, no consequence quizzes, you know, um, at the beginning of each class. Some people call them a warm up or do now how to design study guides and then teaching them how to build their own study guide and then utilize their study guide on the test. I, like I, I really, so I was telling, telling my friend, I was like, my wife's friend, she's my friend too. but. What I was what I was telling her was that it's this idea of boy, well, what was I saying? So it's it's how to be a better learner, but then thinking about you know what accepting what students normally don't want to do in mathematics and turning directly into that storm. And so I feel like When she was saying like, you know, because she said, you know, her daughter's is super bright. it's, It's some of it, not all of it, but a contributing factor to her engagement is the way the teacher teaches, whether they're using culturally responsive teaching, culturally relevant teaching practices, whatever that might be, how they're using that. And clearly there was a disconnect here for this particular seventh grader. And so. And in my experience, I think it's, it's, it's really fascinating because some of my when I, when I was teaching. So just to give you some context, so my sweet spot in math was usually algebra one, algebra two, geometry, because that's where a number of the students who really didn't have the greatest level of confidence. Some people call them the lower level math classes. They didn't have the greatest bit of confidence. In, mathem- in their ability to solve mathematics. They hadn't really had someone positively engage them and really teach them these skills to be great learners. But what I found was that these students, my students, some of the ones in the lower level math classes were some of my most creative thinkers mathematically. Logically and analytically, they were some of my best thinkers. And Some of them I helped build their confidence, build their ability to organize learning in their head a little bit more effectively, and then help the rubber meet the road and take off to where, you know, in my my final few years of teaching here in Atlanta, you know, I was teaching algebra one in ninth grade, which in that school was considered the lower level of math class. And there was a stigma, a negative stigma assigned to that. It was a small group of kids for every incoming cohort of freshmen. It was a small group of kids, usually 18 to 20, who, for whatever reason, they needed another year of algebra. Because if they were in the school and they did middle school, the middle school had taught them algebra one, but they didn't, it, they didn't perform as well as they should have, as well as expected. And then those who were transferring into the school to start high school in this school, if they didn't do so well on the interest exam, the assessment, they would be placed in this class. But, what I, but again, like I said, I, what I realized was these kids, one, our kids, my kids, one, had a confidence issue, two, they just needed someone to really understand how they learned and help fit the learning to them and fit the curriculum to them. So much so that like at least once a year, In my three years of teaching at school, I prepared at least. So, again, they came in ninth grade, taking Algebra One. I noticed that there was something really, the force was strong within them. They could be great mathematicians. They had a little bit of work around the edges. A year with me in training wasn't fine. But usually each year there were two or three in that class who I was able to support them and build their confidence, help them earn they earned a a high enough grade that they were eligible to take geometry during the summer. And if they took geometry during the summer and got like an 85% in the class or higher, they would then be able to join quote unquote on level students in algebra two the next year. So at this school, they didn't use the word on level, but a majority of the student ninth graders coming in, a majority were either entering at the geometry level or algebra two level. But a majority of them were in the geometry level. And for this school, that was kind of what was expected because they had algebra one, the middle school taught algebra one in eighth grade. So in ninth grade, they take geometry. So what I would do is I would have a handful, not a handful, two or three students each year who showed great promise, showed great strength in problem solving in algebra one and showed clear knowledge of it and maybe just needed you know, a bit of reinforcement or to be introduced to a few new topics. Through my process, helped them to build their confidence, have they earned a strong enough grade in my class to be eligible for geometry over the summer. So now, these kids would take geometry for like five or six weeks, maybe eight weeks over the summer. So they do a full year of geometry during the summer. So this is coming from the quote unquote, the lower level math class. Now they're taking a summer school course, which we know is, is brutal. Absolutely brutal because you got to cover a whole year's worth of material as the exams, quizzes, tests, all that type of stuff in five to eight weeks. So something obviously, good morning. Something obviously was, was, was alive within them. To be able to accomplish this. And this is why it goes back to my point of like, sometimes our, our, I believe my greatest mathematicians and those who found joy in it were in some of the lowest level math classes because not because of their aptitude or their inability to learn mathematics. It was something that happened to do with potentially one of the factors was their relationship with the teacher. Maybe it is with them as a person, maybe it was with them in terms of their instructional style, whatever that might be, but it was something student to adult that was getting in the way, not student to their own ability. And then usually of those two or three kids, one who took geometry over the summer and did well, if they did exceptionally well, which is usually one out of that group every summer, they did so well in geometry that they were allowed to enter into Algebra II the following year, but the honors level course, which technically as a sophomore, that's the highest level of mathematics someone can take. I mean, we, we obviously have some outliers where there's some kids who come into high school and they're ready for pre-calculus their freshman year. They just had great exposure, great opportunities to learn so on and so forth. but. Typically, if we look at the larger percentage of numbers for those who are in 10th grade, the higher level math class is honors algebra two. So I'd have one go in there and I can smile because in my three years, that one was always a black student. A black student who transferred into the school as a ninth grader and was, for whatever reason, placed in the lowest level math class. But by the end of the summer, they had catapulted to the highest level of math class for their sophomore year of high school. Now, they did the work. I just hope that I believe I create the conditions for that for their ability to take over. Whatever that might have been, because it might have been lack of confidence. It might have whatever that might have been. So I say all this to go back to. Like, it's interesting when. The, I've always wanted to, to learn more about some of these tests that educational psychologists give, and, and if you, you have an example of one, or can you give me a summary, send it to me, uh, leave a comment, email me, whatever that might be, because I've always wondered, like, okay, what exactly are they testing? How are they testing? Because some of our students who are deemed to have learning challenges. Yeah, some of them do have learning challenges, whether it's ADHD, uh, OCD, ADD, and and a whole host of other learning challenges, dyslexia. There's others who do actually have the aptitude for learning. There's just something else in the way. Sometimes that, again, as I said, it's the relationship. Sometimes it is their learning style. Sometimes it, it is just simply understanding that they have dyslexia. Or in my case, I had some students who had dyscalculia. Where I think it's just the mathematics version. Forgive me if I don't know. Don't don't rake me over the coals. But I believe it has some similarities to the challenges students face with dyslexia, but in a in a math form. And so, okay, but but the tests reveal that they still have the ability to learn. It's just about us adjusting. So, man, I have really enjoyed this walk. But I I just I just you know I was I was. When I was sharing with my friend, I said, you know, your daughter is most likely just fine, is uh, you could, you might classify it as she's bored or disengaged in the relationship building with the teacher. Because people talk about, like, "That's, that's so important. And it's not, you know, it goes beyond this, hey, how you doing, high fives, you know, spending a moment getting to know them. That's a part of it. But it's also the relationship is how you demonstrate your preparation to lead, how you show that you as a as a teacher are an instructional leader and how you're on the student side in terms of how you keep your room, how you greet folks, what does it, you know, how do you deliver assignments? How do you grade assignments? What type of uh, culture do you put around failure and around success? There's all those little things that contribute to our relationship. It goes beyond more than what we just say because we could have a high-five routine, a hug routine, you know, a smile routine with them at the beginning and think that's relationship building when, yeah, that's part of it but it's also about how you deliver as a professional. Like, as professionals on our jobs we don't have, we have positive relationships with people that we don't necessarily have to have to like them or be great friends with them but what they know is they can rely upon me they can rely upon you as a professional to do your job and to do it very well. That is a way that we communicate and have healthy relationships with folks. So I just thought that was interesting. and it, it just took me back to, you know, why I used to question or have some wonderings about um, some of these educational um, psychology tests and the results that they get and how it pushed me to look at many of my students who took those as like, they're not slow, they're not dumb. Clearly, they have some sort of aptitude. Now, granted, I'm sure most of these tests are, are you know, we live in a structural and institutionally racist society, right? So I'm sure the tests were designed to better suit, weren't were d- designed to better suit white children, specifically white males, um, just the way that the system was designed but nonetheless it, it, it is a through psychology it is an accountability system we get a sense of in a in a more white dominant cultural traditional sense what is who has the aptitude for learning or their level of aptitude for learning and engagement and and, and uptake ability to learn new things and so It is one test that does not dictate, or a series of tests, it does not dictate that, you know, what they're going to be in life. But in a traditional sense, it's an indicator that they're capable learners. And so the key is, how do we as educators continue to create learning environments where they turn, where our young people are able to turn this potential into actual kinetic or into actual performance. So take their, what they're capable of doing and actually turn it into, it's they're able to do it. They do do it, they do perform in that way. So it just had me thinking about some of those tests that that I would see and wondered why some of my students who did struggle a lot and who had those assessments came back and was like, everything was fine. The learning ability is fine. But it just, I know that over my career it pushed me To be a better teacher, to be a better leader, to be a better instructor, to figure out what they needed. So, yeah, um, I'm done. I'm just rambling, but I just I just wanted to talk about, you know, that sort of space and testing, how relationships between students and just because your child has a strong aptitude, it doesn't mean that they're in an environment that's going to nurture Their ability to really perform on new things, because I think what before I end, I think one of the things that came up in the conversation was that, you know, uh, with my friend, she said her daughter, you know, tested through the roof. She should be able to do fine, and she should be able to do well in this class, right? There's there's nothing, I guess, intellectually holding her back from doing this, and I said. It's not that those tests really say that they have the ability, but they still got to learn. They still got to put in the time. They still got to spend time practicing. They just might not have to spend. If you're in the 90th percentile, they might not have to spend as much time. Their uptake is much might be much faster, but they still got to learn new things. It doesn't just mean they're going to automatically walk into. Oh, I know calculus. No, it just means the the canvas for creating artistry within A subject area might be a lot more vast and a lot more tools to be able to use to create this great image, this great picture. But they still need to go and get the tools and practice. And if they don't want to pick it up, if there's not the environment that's set for them to fully engage and be their whole authentic selves as they come forward, that talent will never shine. That ability will never come through. And that's what we got to begin to focus on with, with 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 our children, is knowing that all of them have an aptitude for this learning. It's all about how do we create the conditions for their best selves to come out. That's the key. As a parent, that's what I'm working on. As a teacher, that's what I was working on. As someone who's training teachers, it's it's helping get adults to that place of, how do I help bring the best out of them? reach their full potential. What type of conditions, environmental conditions, learning conditions can I create that allows their best to come forward? That's what this is all about. If we're not doing that, we're losing out on some of the most talented people. Some of the most talented people in the world. Anyway, I'm done. So that's my episode. I'm Ayodele Speaks. I'm Ayodele. Thank you for taking a listen to Ayodele Speaks. Until next time, peace. peace.